there's a Catholic nuns place uh, in California and it's beautifully built. And, and then they say there's a line in it that says, beauty makes us closer to our souls and that makes us closer to God. warm welcome to the Bridging Podcast. It's your host, Özlem from Amsterdam. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with a very new episode of the Bridging Podcast. And today my guest is Zeynep Salbi. Zeynep Salbi is an Iraqi-American humanitarian, author of several books, public speaker and women's rights activist. She's the founder and former executive director of non-profit humanitarian organization Women for Women International. People magazine named her as one of the 25 women changing the world. Fast Company identified her as one of the 100 the most creative people in business. She was a guest on Super Soul Sunday and had a conversation with Oprah Winfrey. Zeynep created and hosted several shows and her last show is the Redefined podcast where she had Mariana Williamson and Elif Shafak as a guest. Zeynep's life was very much impacted by her first-hand experience of war as she has lived in Baghdad during the Iran-Iraq war as well as fear and dictatorships due to her family's close relationship with Saddam Hussein and her father being the private pilot of Saddam. In 1990, Zeynep was sent to the U.S. through an arranged marriage to an Iraqi living in the U.S. while she was only 19 years old. Zeynep and I talk about her life in Baghdad during the dictatorship of Saddam Hussein. We also talk about her mom sending her to the States through an arranged marriage. While Zeynep helped thousands of women in war zones, she was very fearful to share her own story and her family's close relationship with Saddam Hussein. Zeynep says, when someone breaks their own silence, the person becomes a candle to others. Here is Zeynep Salbi. So, I'm very excited, but I'm just going to start. You have a peaceful uh, state at this moment, I feel. <laughs> okay, Zeynep Salbi, welcome to the Bridging Podcast. It's really, really nice having you here. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, Oslam. Yes, thank you. Zeynep, I'm sure that many listeners know you already, but would you like to introduce yourself? Who is Zeynep Salbi? You know, and somehow it's relevant and somehow it's not relevant, right? Because I think who we are ultimately have to be how comfortable we are with ourselves. Our external accomplishments, I feel, are part of us, but not fully us. But if you want my external accomplishments or my external life, it's I am um, a woman from Iraq, uh, was born and uh, raised in Baghdad, Iraq. I came to America when I was 19, 20 years old, in a most unforeseen and unfortunate circumstances, where I was in a marriage, that, in an arranged marriage, that I ended up escaping after a few months. I then founded Women for Women International, an organization that supports women survivors of wars all over. 
And I then moved to the journalism world where I launched um, uh, prominent uh, different shows in the Arab world as well as in America about seeing the and understanding the world from a woman's perspective. And now I'm the host of Redefined Podcasts and a chief awareness officer at Find Center, a new platform for spiritual health and personal growth and development. And I'm an author of many, many books, always from seeing the world from a woman's perspective. My latest book is Freedom is an Inside Job. Freedom is an Inside Job. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for this nice introduction. Thank you, Zainab. You know, you said that you were born and raised in Iraq, in Baghdad. And uh, on the age of 19, you went to the States. Before I go to the States part, when you moved to the States, can you tell us a little bit about how was it for you to live in a dictatorship? Because, you know, it was at the time that Saddam Hussein was also alive. And actually, your father was the private pilot of Saddam Hussein. Yeah, I mean, I grew up knowing Saddam. I called him uncle as I was um, growing up. He was my father's, um, my father worked for him indeed. And also we were his social friends, which is not something that you choose in the case. In that case, it's something that he chose and the option was very limited for us. You know, there are three things that impacted my life growing up in Iraq. One is war. I grew up in war and I understood at a very young age that the world discussed war uh, from a man's perspective, you know, fighting, bullets, guns, all of that. But the mm -hmm. world does not discuss war from a woman's perspective, which is keeping life going in the midst of war. Mm. And, and I was just a child when that happened. And it's like, oh, they only see the front line. They don't see the back line. So that impacted me. And the second one is knowing Saddam Hussein, that was fear. And we were afraid of everything, not only my family, everyone was afraid of everything in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Any any jokes, any, any, any comment about uh, criticizing him was actually entailed danger. So that impacted me because then I spent a lifetime trying to look for freedom. Yeah. And then the last one is my mother who taught me that I have to always be strong that I have to always be independent, that I should never let any man or any person touch me or talk to me in the wrong way. And I should never learn how to cook or clean because no man should know, should expect that of me just because I'm a woman. Mm. And my mother's teachings, not about the cooking, cleaning, but was impactful on me and helped me stand on my feet and be strong and independent every time life gave me a hit, basically. So I'm grateful yeah. for these teachings. But these are the three points that impacted my life in my growing up. Yeah, you, you said fear in a dictatorship. You also said like the difference between men during war and women during war. They actually make keep uh, being alive and make the life actually going. And you said like you're about your mom, that she really taught you freedom, being independent, She didn't teach you to cook and clean. She was really teaching you to uh, look after yourself and be independent. It's actually very funny. My mom is Turkish. I was raised in the Netherlands and my mom also did not teach me cleaning and cooking. 
she was like, hey, you have to be independent. And, and there was no war while she was teaching me this in the Netherlands. Very funny. Uh, but but in much, much older age, I am not against cleaning and cooking. I had yes. to learn how to clean and cook. And I was like, no man still should expect it from me. Mm-hmm. But I had to learn to clean and cook to truly have my independence, you know, yeah. to truly know how to do that. So my and my mom did not teach me that. Yes, did not tell me. And yes, don't be we don't clean and cook, but there were always women who cleaned and cook yeah. and, and in our homes. And you know, we cannot just look at women's independence and strength as just, you know, because that's a privilege and a privilege of middle class, you know, or more. And so I came, I, I'm critical of that point of my mom, although it helped me. Mm-hmm. But then I came along, I was like, yes, but she didn't tell me that there were women who sacrificed their freedom and their independence to cook and clean for me, right? And what yeah. is my freedom and my own independence for also me to learn how to cook clean? So it's a complex thing, you know? But, and I, I, again, in my latest, latest book, Freedom is an Inside Job, really, I learned freedom is none of the things that we say. It's really how do we acquire it uh, within ourselves? And and how did you acquire it within yourself during your childhood years and teenage years, on the, you know until nineteen years old while living in the dictatorships? Because you said fear, like how did you keep that freedom in you while you also felt fearful? I mean, no, there, there were. I mean, freedom came over time. I, mm. I'm not sure. I you know I had a lot of anxiety as a child. I mm-hmm. had a lot of worries you know you know so freedom comes over time uh mm-hmm. it's not like you keep yourself free but you're working at a dictatorship however there are few things that helped me one is i love music so i always put myself in my talents you know my music my all of the expression second i never let myself you know i did suppress myself but i also articulated myself i suppressed myself for certain things that would mm-hmm. endanger my family. But I also was articulate about at least my personal desires and my personal beliefs. I kept that, you know? And even times in which he was, everyone was like, oh my God, he's going to be angry at you for saying this. But I kept it. As long as it didn't, like there was a red line I knew not to cross, you know? But mm-hmm. I did not close my mind. I kept my mind. Even though society did not allow me or the government did not allow me to keep my mind, my freedom was mine. I could read. I could express myself in my writings. You know, know, that was personal. And then the last but not least, I actually always had a connection with, with God. And I always, since my childhood, I grew up in a very secular family. We, no one talk much. I mean, we do fasting and Ramadan and Mm-hmm. celebrate Eid, but there wasn't a big role for religion in the way I grew up. But I, it was a personal connection with God and that personal connection always kept me, uh, kept my soul alive, you know, kept my spirit alive. Connection with God. And also you knew exactly where the red line was for you. You kept your mind open. Okay. So your mom, you told what you just told, what your mom taught you, but Then on the age of 19, when you were 19, you didn't know that, but your mom and dad, I'm not fully sure about your dad because 
I saw it on, in my research. I found more about your mom that she arranged this marriage for you with someone that with an Iraqi guy in the States. And you, they, they brought you to the States. You got married to them. And after two weeks, your parents left. And that was actually at that moment for you a big betrayal. It felt a big betrayal for you from especially your mom while she was teaching you freedom, independency, uh, and you're really standing for yourself in your power. And this is happening. Can you tell us a little bit through that story? What happened there? Well, what happened is exactly what you described. So there isn't much to tell, to add to what you described. However, it took me a very, very long time. I mean, when I found myself stranded in America, you know, when the, the marriage ended up being abusive, physically and sexually abusive and verbally abusive. You know, we, he didn't hit me or anything like that, but he raped me. And a lot of people say, oh, there is no rape in marriage. I believe there is rape in marriage. You know, it doesn't matter if you're married or not. If you are forced by a man to uh, force himself on you, it doesn't matter if you're his wife or not. That's a, a personal integrity. And so I left, when I left, there was $400 in my pocket and I vowed that I will do something out of my life. I will build my life. And one day I will go home and try to help women in, in, in back home. But right mm -hmm. now I'm going to build something out of my life. And, you know, I did it from zero, basically. I soon uh, later, you know, I very soon after I found that there's a war in Bosnia. There, there were mm -hmm. rape camps in Bosnia and concentration camps in Bosnia. It's a country that I did not know anything about, but... I was living in America and America does give you freedom of expression. It does give mm -hmm. you that. So I felt I have the responsibility that now that I live in a country that gives me freedom of expression, that I have the responsibility to act on that. Mm -hmm. And even though act on people I don't know who are the Bosnians and nothing about, you know, now we know, but at that time I really did not know. And uh, I just like, but it's my, there's injustice. And when we see injustice, if there's injustice happening in front of us and we avoid seeing it, we mm -hmm. legitimize it. We, okay. we, you know, and we allow for the corruption of our own values. In other words, we each want to say that we are good people, but we get corrupted. We allow our own corruption if we don't act on our good values. What's the mm -hmm. point of saying I'm a good person, but I really don't act on my values. So I felt I have the obligation to do something about injustice, even though I have no personal connection to them. And from that started, you know, Women for Women. It was a mom and pop. I had already fell in love and married someone else. Um, this is two years after I created this organization. Everyone laughed at me. My friends, they's like, go get a job, go get how buy a house. Why are you wasting your time? Yeah. You were just 23 years old. I was just 23 years old and, you know, Lord and behold, and, you know, it became a major organization helping half a million women in different wars, help, you know, connecting half a million women in different countries to them, raising $146 million. And I mentioned that because it's in the process of working with the women survivors of wars. Mm -hmm started in Bosnia, but then I went to Afghanistan and Congo and Iraq and Sudan, Southern Sudan and different countries and, uh, and Kosovo and all of that. And what I came to learn that here I am, 
asking them to break their sons. I was conveying the message my mom told me, you know, never let anybody touch you or talk to you the wrong way. Always speak your truth, break your silence. Mm-hmm. But I was not willing to do that, right? I, I was afraid to do that for myself, to tell everyone I knew Saddam Hussein, I was in arranged marriage, I was in abusive mm-hmm. marriage. And so, you know, it took me a very long time to see the connection between myself, the educated women, and the women that I'm helping, very poor women who have lost everything. And, and the connection is the same. We all have our stories. I was just hiding behind them. So while working for Women for International and helping other women in war zones, you're hiding your own story. I'm hiding my own story because I'm afraid to say, oh my God, I was abusive wife, uh, abused wife, sorry. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, I you know came in an arranged marriage and I knew something. I was embarrassed. How could mm-hmm. I be feminist, well-known feminist activist, but mm-hmm. I have this shameful story. And until one moment in which I realized I actually am them and they are me. We are all the same story. You know, it's the severity of it is different. You know, I, you know, each person has their own particular story, but the impact on the emotions are, are very similar. And that's when I embarked into my own journey of discovery, right? Like what would it take to break my own silence, confronting my fear? And then over my mom's illness, I realized that, you know, I confronted her. Like, why did you do that to me? To leave me alone in a foreign country. And that's and this when I... Was, this was when she got ill, not before? You didn't confront her before? I couldn't see her before. I did not end up seeing my family for nine years. There were sanctions and embargo in Iraq. So mm-hmm. she came to America for treatment. And that was the first time I could see her for after eight years of not seeing her. And so that's when the, and she was on her brink of her death. And you know, when we are dying, we're honest. We're very honest about everything in life when we are dying. We lie only when we mm-hmm. are in, you know, bragging about who we are, all of that. So mm-hmm. in my mother's death, she told me and that she was worried about me, that she wanted, you know, to get me out to America into safety. And, you know, there's a saying in the Quran, sometimes you hate something's happening to you but they're ultimately for your good. And mm. I reflect on it. I think that was the story for me. I hated what happened to me, mm-hmm. but ultimately it was for my good. I did come to America. I did establish myself out of no nothing in America. I have built my career on my own. I have been loved and feel, you know, over a long time, a sense of safety. Mm-hmm. And had I had my mom not done that, and even though she did that for to protect me, and you would have to read the book to understand why, I would not have become who I am today. Yeah. Yeah. You also said, you know, in the Super Soul Sunday of, uh, with Oprah, you said to her, I realized for the longest time, the prison guard for my own fear. I was the guard who was feeding my fear. When you own your story, you walk out of shame. And did you walk out of shame after you owned the story? Most definitely. You know, once you break your silence and you say the truth, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I cried a lot in the process of writing the book. I, you know, I cried for a year and a half writing it. And then I cried for a year and a half promoting it, you know, until there were no more tears. And what helped me was the more I spoke my truth, people will come mostly women, and tell me what they've gone through. 
and not only abuse. I mean, there are so many stories. Uh, like, and I, these are, don't, I don't know these women. And all what I was doing is telling my truth, mine, mm-hmm. you know? And I realized that they were coming and I was just like telling me their truth. And I realized I'm not alone. I'm not, we, we're ashamed and afraid because we think we're alone because we think someone else is perfect. We think everyone else is perfect except us. That's not true. Actually, all of us are imperfect. Everyone is having their own struggle. These days, we all project these fake images on our social media, making us, making others feel they're not fake images. They are images of glimpses of moments in our lives. They are not mm-hmm. our life. You know, I, you know, uh, there's a good second, you know, that we put and we take a picture and rather than this is my entire life, right? And so, you know, the truth is we're all suffering. And we're all also those of us who want to do the work. We're also mm-hmm. all awakening together, you know? And so, you know, right now it's left me because it's like, I'm not unique. If anything, it's like so many women have the same story, you know, not with not with the circumstances I have, not in the country mm-hmm. I have, not in the dictator I have, but that breaking away from the shame, that's freedom. That yeah. is free, is to break away from the shame because your oppressor keeps, you with your shame, you know, husbands who their wives or cultures like yours or mine, we tell, they tell women to stay, keep the story, you know, don't tell, don't tell your father did this or your brother did this or your husband, you know, shame on the family actually. Mm -hmm. So we keep it scared. What would people say? Well, what I realized when you do the reverse and you just speak, you know, you free yourself from, from the restrictions of society and the fear. Oh my God, you're free, you know, because it's like, I just said it. You're the abuser, not me. And I'm yeah. breaking silence. Beautiful. Really, really very powerful also. Yeah, very, very powerful. Hello, everyone. It's Özlem. I have collaborated with Maven and have created a new cohort-based course. The course is about learning to put yourself out there and discover a world of one million plus possibilities. In this cohort-based course, I will teach you how I got Seth Godin on my show on the Bridging Podcast, how I went from homeless to living in a monument, and how every no brought me close to a yes. So in two weeks, you will get clarity, confidence, tools, and techniques that helped me and now will help you to put yourself out there and help you to draw one million plus possibilities to you. The course is for people that want to overcome imposter syndrome and want to be confident about their skills and themselves. It's also for people that want to start asking for what they want and for people that want to think freely while they learn how to dance with embarrassment. It's for people that are ready to put themselves out there for greater opportunities is for people that are ready to serve more people with their skills and want to overcome fearing disapproval. And if you want to connect to people with authenticity, vulnerability, and lead with courage and confidence, this course might be for you. So check it out on oskanoslem.com slash go, O-Z-K-A-N-O-Z-L-E-M.com slash go. Go and listen what others say about the course. I hope you will join me. 
So, you know, I also read like, you know, when you visited these war zones, for example, Bosnia, you ask women like, hey, what do you want me to bring you? What do you want me to send you from the States or any other country? And most women, they replied with, I want to have lipstick. And we now we both have lipstick on, both of us. <laughs> For the ones that see this YouTube video, they can see it. But why did they ask you to bring lipstick? Can you tell that story a little bit? Yeah, well, you know, they want, I was like, lipstick? What? You don't, you want me to find, bring you, you know, I don't know, vitamins, tampons, things like that. And lipstick, they said, one of them said is because it's the simplest act that I can put on my lip and I feel beautiful. Mm. And, and and so when I walk out of the house and the sniper is maybe targeting to kill me, I want him to know he is killing a beautiful woman. And that story really changed my understanding and my relationship with beauty mm. and the of beauty. Because I, you know, I grew up in a society where beauty is dangerous. You know, if you're beautiful, you know, maybe someone will rape you. So in my case, I resisted beauty. In my case, obviously, most women like beauty, right? And if anything, I feel like a lot, I worry about a lot of uh, the exaggeration in attaining beauty, like, you know, with a lot of people doing all kinds of things to their bodies and their faces and their, you know, to attain beauty. But I came to realize that, and I, for me, I denied beauty, right? But beauty is a very important thing of life. And it's mm. not only aesthetically beautiful, it's also an act of resistance. You, mm. you know, it's like this woman who wanted a lipstick. The artists are very important. Artists create beauty, whether it is paintings or whether it is, you know, a music or any kind of art or poetry or authors they create beauty and beauty is a form of resistance in all yeah. it's a form of expression, but also it's a form of re resilience is a form of perseverance It's a form of strength. And it's really changed my perspective. I mean, before I was like, oh, I don't want to wear nice clothes. I don't want to put lipstick mm -hmm. on. No, I put lipstick on and I do appreciate beauty. Actually it's very important for me aesthetically. It's very important because it's important for my soul. There's a Catholic nuns place uh, in California and it's beautifully built. And, and then they say there's a line in it that says beauty brings our souls, you know, beauty makes us closer to our souls and that makes us closer to God. Mm, that's a nice one. Really, really nice. And so I learned, you know, to appreciate how people resist in different ways. Not everyone resists with a gun. Most people resist in different ways and in small ways and in big ways and in, even in ways that include a lipstick. So I also read like, you know, that you have thought for a long time that you did not confirm, let's say that, that you were beautiful, that you had difficulties with that. When was that turning point that you felt and owned, acknowledged, I am beautiful as Zeynep Salbi or Zeynep? Well, I didn't, uh, I met a, a woman from Tibet and she, without knowing me much, she gave me an exercise to meditate on my face hmm. and on the mirror, in the bathroom mirror. I was like, okay, I'll meditate. I'm, I'm very much into spiritual discoveries. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll meditate. You know, to look at my face was too many features. And even though we look at our faces every day in the mirror as we brush our teeth and wash our faces, we 
really don't pay attention, you know, to the details. So I took only one eye to meditate on so I can focus on my meditation. And that was also too many details. So then I took one pupil, you know, and I said, I'm going to meditate on that. And after 10 minutes each day, I would meditate in the bathroom mirror on my pupil. One day it happened. I was like, oh my God, I'm beautiful. And what I am beautiful meant was not me because I wasn't looking at my features. I wasn't looking at my eyes. I was looking at my pupil. I wasn't looking at my nose or anything. What I am beautiful meant is that I, I saw my soul and my soul was beautiful. And it's just a very, like you see, they say the eyes are the window to our souls. And so it was like, it's beautiful. And you really do see yourself in your people. And ever since, even though it was a very symbolic experience, my own self-perception of my beauty has changed. Mm. You know, it's uh, the physical change, you know, now I, sometimes I lose weight, sometimes I gain weight sometimes. And I always look as like, it's beautiful. And, you know, I like hiking, I live in nature and I, you know, always hike. And one of the things I learned in hiking in the seasons that change, um, that every season is beautiful. Every season is beautiful. Spring, summer, fall, winter. And, you know, often maybe, and I think it's the same with human life and human Mm -hmm. physical life that every aspect of it is beautiful. Who said spring is the most beautiful aspect? I think fall is gorgeous, truly gorgeous, you know? Yeah. Where I live at least, right? And so it's like, you know, so how how about if we let beauty evolve and appreciate all the beauty inward? Because when you see it inward, I'm 52 years old. And now I think I'm more beautiful than I when I was in my 20s. But only because I could see my soul and my spirit. Yeah. See what I mean? And then I'm not, I'm planning to keep it as is. I'm not going to change it. I'm just going to, you know, let life be and not be worried. <gasps> Do I have this wrinkle? And it's because it's like the seasons, they're all gorgeous. And it's yeah. the soul that is important. Actually, you know, in I have written one book about um, in old Turkey, when they were traveling, they always gave a traveler a small mirror. Because when you when you lose trust in yourself or when you forget your own beauty while traveling, just look in the mirror and you will see the inside of your soul, which is reflecting back in your face as beauty. Beautiful, very beautiful, very nice. So back to your mom, eh, Zeynep. Like um, I also read about that when your mom was sick, she asked you to send some. Uh, letters where she was asking for forgiveness from some people or from many, I don't know the amount. And I also read about that you said once you did that, I'm not going to wait until I am going to be very sick. I'm just going to already ask forgiveness from people that I want to ask. It's not only forgiveness. Uh, Mm. My mom wrote letters to everyone in her life some asking them for apologizing, some she forgave them hmm. and some she just told them, I love you and I appreciate you. So apologize, forgive and appreciate basically. Hmm. And that was the last few months of her life. And she made me read the letters before I sent it to them. 
And so, yes, I, I, I actually do that every now and then. I um, clean the slates. So in case I die, I don't have this like, you know, nothing case when I die, I don't, it's all the, the slates is always, the book is always clean, right? Mm-hmm. Apologizing, forgiving, loving, and appreciating. And those who don't get that letter for me is intentional. Like I'm not ready yet, you know, but I last, last time I did it was during COVID the first days of COVID. I mm-hmm. it was the last, um, and these are people who have hurt me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I just eat it, call them or texted them or, and it's like, you know, it's time for healing. And I, you know, I'm letting go. I've, I forgive and I've, you know, it's, it's gone, you know, and sometimes I apologize. And sometimes I, you know, just said, I just want to tell you, I love you. And it was small stories and big stories. They're not yeah. only big stories. Sometimes it's small stories. We hear someone, we heard someone we love, you know, and we think that they're okay, but I, I do apologize. And because we always talk about forgiveness. When mm-hmm. you forgive someone, you have the power to forgive someone. Try to do the opposite. Try to ask for forgiveness mm-hmm. and try to apologize. Because there's so much talk about you forgiving, you forgiving. Honestly, I learned about forgiveness when I had to apologize, when I had to like be on the seat of the asking for forgiveness. And that's a humbling experience. And it's scary and it's... Um, it's really scary experience because you are admitting to what you have done and you are vulnerable to this person's response. And yet for me, that's when I like forgiveness is not a, a one dimension It's 360 degrees. You mm-hmm. have to play all parts of it to truly understand it mm-hmm. and not just say, Oh, I forgive you. Or can you forgive me? You really need to be in that drive in that seat in order to fully, fully understand it and appreciate the others. So appreciating the others is being scary to actually say, ask for forgiveness and you're putting yourself out there, you're vulnerable. How did it make you feel after you did it? Clean, like in alignment in myself, Mm. you know, and and just like, you know, you, you cannot be attached to people's response, right? Some people respond nicely and some people don't. Mm-hmm. You just said, but I did that journey. I'm doing it for me, not for anybody else. I am mm-hmm. doing it because I need to be in truth and in alignment to my values. Mm-hmm. And so it deepens that alignment, that sense of alignment. It's like, I did it for me. I'm done. And you let go of the story and you put it all the story in a canoe and symbolically, and you push it out in the water and you let go of all that story of pain that either you cause or other people's call, other people cause you. And so it's liberating to do that. Yeah. So, you know, in 2019, just before COVID, actually, COVID kind of happened in March 2020. And at the end of 2019, um, you were at the intensive care and you were trying to breathe and you were actually kind of catching your last breath. And you say that that's really, that's, situation changed you and also you said in one of the interviews it's changed your to do or to life list you know before the intensive care your list was like you know work hard exercise financial security seeing friends family and the new list was connecting with your heart uh, connecting with nature showing gratitude 
what happened exactly? Because I couldn't, I could not find somewhere. Like you know, I just read about you were trying to breathe for the last time. Did you have an almost death experience? Yeah, I almost died. I was in the ICU. It was an unknown viral infection that was before COVID, and in that, and I was surrounded by doctors and nurses and family. Um, but in that intimate space. Um, you know, when you think that this is it, you don't ask yourself, what did I accomplish? Or did I accomplish enough? Uh, the question that came to me, the first word that came to me is kindness. Kindness. Mm. Um, you know, and, and then it led me to the question is, have I lived my life in kindness to mm. myself and to others? And have I lived my life in love to myself and to others? And I have lived my life in kindness and in love to others. I know how to give, but to myself was not a question. Like I just did not know kindness to myself. Maybe I would have manicure, pedicure, or maybe I get a massage, mm -hmm. but really it, it, that's not kindness to oneself. That's not love to oneself. Right. And so, you know, so for me, it's like, so what does that mean then? You yeah. Know? What does it mean? Well, I think we each have to discover it for ourselves to start with, you know, I think we each have to have our own list of what makes you happy and blissful. And, you know, from that came for me, seven rules for a happy day, seven, you know, but they're very basic. Drink a lot of water, mm -hmm. eat healthy food, go and walk in nature or be surrounded in nature. You know, I, it's meditation, but I call it an appointment with my heart. Because when I call an appointment, I take it very seriously. If it's meditation, oh, it's good meditation, but I have my appointment with my heart every day, a connection mm -hmm. with my essence. I love um, that. Family and friends, you know, that's very important. You know, we used, sometimes I would go days without calling family or friends. Now I call people every day. How are you doing? Checking on them, you know. Um, I'll always surround myself with family and friends, basically. Do something in the arts. Very important for me, art is important for our souls, whether you listen to music or express yourself artistically, whatever that is. I started teaching myself the piano and I started playing piano. Really? And then, well, I mean, I played it as a child, but I retaught myself after 30 years of not touching the piano. And I was like, this is important for me. And then finally, and I really, really, I mean, I'm, um, I'm doing my podcast right now called Redefined. Mm -hmm. And I'm interviewing people from all walks of life. and. The one thing, it's my seven rule, but I'm like, I bring redefine because I'm discovering this. Everyone rules. Do, work something that is your purpose. Work because something you that working, is your purpose. Because when you're working your purpose, when you are, your job, your profession is your purpose. That's happiness. Mm. That's a bliss. It doesn't matter if you work hard or you don't work hard. And when people are in, their purpose, they are energetic and happy and excited. That's for me is the seventh rule. Always be sure that whatever you're doing, it is your purpose. Wow. Nice seven rules. Really, really nice, Zainab. So the Bridging Podcast, Zainab, we have different people coming on the show with different expertise about it's about cultural diversity, personal growth. And I all, always ask every guest this question it is about taking the listener on a bridge sometimes to a familiar place and sometimes to a very new place and in your story 
I saw some familiarity with my story, although I never lived in Iraq. I lived in the Netherlands. But the very similar things I found for myself, and I'm sure that some of the listeners would also have found. Where would you like to take the listener to if you can take them on a bridge? You know, I can only tell you what came to me immediately, which is a rope bridge, which I'm scared of, you know, like a bridge made of ropes mm -hmm. in a high place, which I'm very scared of, you know. Um, and the reason I, it's a story that I wrote in, in my book, um, in my last book, Freedom is an Inside Job, which is about a girl. It's a big, it's a long story. I, I will not mention the story, but about she was at a point where she has to cross that bridge and go through the dark forest to then to safety. And she's scared and she doesn't know how to do it. And I am scared of that bridge, right? And in the story is what she did is she started to go to the song of her life, you know, and just make the sound of her life. Now I'm saying it physically, but it's the sound of her life. And when she went in that song, she could cross the bridge and cross the dark forest and came to light and came to the land of freedom and joy. And mm. the reason I mentioned that bridge is because life is, by definition, has ups and downs. Yeah. And for me, is how the ups are beautiful, is how do we manage the downs? And as long as we stay true to ourselves, as long as we stay true to our voice, to our life purpose, to our beliefs, to our values, then we can cross the scariest bridges. We can cross the scariest bridges. And that's why I brought that bridge, that we can cross that bridge. Just sing the song of your life. Oh. It will together there. That's so, so beautiful, Zeynep. So where can the listener find you? Your amazing podcast, Redefined. You had Elif Shafak and Mariana Williamson on it and also other guests your books about, you know, all your work, where can they find you? Well, I think to listen to the podcast, I suggest going to www.findcenter.com. Mm -hmm. Findcenter.com, you'll see the podcast over there. It's, a, it's also a platform that makes it anybody who is seeking to find their uh, journey towards healing if find it all kinds of information and wisdom of all time in one place. So just go there. For my books and my everything, just go to, I guess, uh, my website with zainabsalbi.com or, or, or you can check Redefine on Spotify or Apple or whatever you get your podcast. And you also have Instagram, right? Of course, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, will, I will put everything in the episode notes. Zainab, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I feel very privileged that I have been in your energy field and um, have had this conversation with you. Wonderful. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, Oslan. You've been most kind and patient and I appreciate it. Yeah. And I, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you have loved this episode, please leave a review. You can find more about my mindset coaching 
book the students and daily blog at ozkanozlem.com or my Instagram ozkanozlem. O-Z-K-A-N-O-Z-L-E-M. Oh,